Well, good morning, church family. My name is Katie Pesson. I'm the executive minister here at Windsor Road, and I am so grateful to be with you all this morning. Um, we'll be speaking out of Isaiah today. Um, but happy Mother's Day to all of my fellow moms out there, and happy graduation day to any uh, graduating students from the university. Um, Randy is with his mom in Tulsa this morning, so he's very grateful to get to be there today. So, when I first had my daughter Esther, who is almost seven now, I used to have really weird dreams. Anybody else have weird dreams when they had newborns? I don't know if it was maybe like the sleep deprivation, but I had crazy dreams. And uh, there's one dream that I had a lot that... I'm going to tell you about it, and my heart is already pounding. My stomach's already in knots. I would have dreams that I forgot to feed her. Yeah, it was terrible. One time I dreamed that I, like, left home and left her in her crib for several hours just by herself and got home and, of course, was panicked that I had left my newborn unattended at home. Uh, I had another dream one time that I opened a closet and found her in there, and she'd been there for three days. It's terrible. Oh, I don't feel good now talking about it. Whew. But I'm sharing, with you, sharing it with you this morning. Uh, oh, but those dreams were terrible. Luckily, they weren't real. Uh, they weren't true. I wondered if maybe I had those dreams because, I don't know, some people are really good at, like, keeping plants and things alive. I'm not. I've killed every plant I've ever gotten. If you've ever given me a plant as a gift or something, I appreciated it, but it's dead now. Um, but so maybe, I don't know, maybe I just wasn't sure how I'd do with a baby. But luckily, um, maybe you know this, babies come with an amazing built-in reminder system. It's really loud. It is unignorable. It's very effective. And today, we're going to be studying a passage of scripture in Isaiah where God uses the metaphor of a nursing mother to illustrate that he could never forget his children. We'll be in Isaiah 49, verses 13 through 23. You'll find that on page 610 of the Bibles in the, uh, the chair backs in front of you. If you're here this morning, by the way, and you don't have a Bible of your own, go ahead and just take that one, put your name in it, call it yours. It'll be our gift to you. So the theme of the book of Isaiah can really be understood if you just know what his name, Isaiah, means. The name Isaiah simply means the Lord saves. Isaiah means the Lord saves. So the very name of the prophet whose words are collected here, his name gives away the purpose of his writing. Isaiah wants people to know God saves sinners. Isaiah contains prophecies regarding uh, Israel's destruction at the hands of Assyria and then the story of their miraculous rescue from Assyria. It contains um, the a prophecy of Israel's destruction by Babylon, and then the prophecy that Cyrus, the king of Babylon, would send them back to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall. It ends with a beautiful vision of God's restoration of all creation. So Isaiah's goal throughout the whole book is to give people a new perspective, to show them that God allowed their captivity to display his sovereignty to open their eyes to a future that not only restores Jerusalem, but restores all humankind. Isaiah chapter 49 contains God's plan to bring salvation for all nations through his servant, who we know is the Messiah. 
This culminates in that chapter in a worldwide gathering and worldwide joy. And that's verse 13. And that's where we'll start. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion said to me, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Behold, I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Your builders make haste. Your destroyers and those who laid you waste go out from you. Lift up your eyes around and see. They all gather, they come to you. As I live, declares the Lord, you shall put them all on as an ornament. You shall bind them on as a bride does. Surely your waste and your desolate places and your devastated land, surely now you will be too narrow for your inhabitants. And those who swallowed you up will be far away. The children of your bereavement will yet say in your ears, this place is too narrow for me. Make room for me to dwell in. Then you will say in your heart, who has borne me these? I was bereaved and barren, exiled and put away, but who has brought up these? Behold, I was left alone. From where have these come? Thus says the Lord God, behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations and raise my signal to the peoples, and they shall bring your sons in their arms, and your daughters shall be carried on your shoulders." Kings shall be your foster fathers and their queens your nursing mothers. With their faces to the ground, they shall bow down to you and lick the dust of your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord and those who wait for me shall not be put to shame. This is God's word. In this passage, we see that despite God's promises to restore Israel, they have trouble believing that he'll do what he says. They've been on the receiving end of God's parental discipline, and now they aren't sure if they can believe that God will restore them. Throughout scripture, we see many times where God is described and calls himself a father. But in a handful of places, scripture uses the metaphor of motherhood to describe God's concern for his people. There's an inherent security of love in this metaphor. God uses the mother metaphor when he describes people completely undeserving of his love. And he loves them anyway. Throughout Isaiah, we see God's tone toward Israel shift from disciplinarian to comforter. In Isaiah 1, God calls Israel a rebellious child who needs punishment. But by chapter 66, the language has changed. In chapter 66, 13, he says, As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you you will be comforted in Jerusalem. And in the New Testament, in the Gospels, in Matthew 23 and Luke 13, Jesus speaks of his desire to gather all of Jerusalem like a mother hen, even in the same sentence as he accuses her of killing God's prophets. In both Isaiah and the Gospels, this mother-like love of God is invoked in the face of rebellious people completely undeserving of God's love. 
Isaiah wants to show Israel through this mother love metaphor that God is faithful to an undeserving Israel and he wants to restore them. I wonder if any of us in this room need a reminder of the constantly faithful, devoted, mother-like love God has for you. Is it possible that in a room this size, some of you might feel like God has forgotten about you? Or maybe you feel like you deserve what's happened to you because your choices got you there. Each week, we say this every Sunday, each week our staff team prays for your prayer requests and we pray for them every Tuesday. We pray for marriages that don't seem like they're gonna make it. We pray for financial situations that week to week seem to stay the same. We pray for children who've lost their parents and we pray for parents who've lost their children. We pray for illnesses that still aren't healed, depression that still debilitates, and anger that still rages. And that's just our prayer requests. That's just the people in this room. And when we look at the world around us, we see shootings in schools and places of worship. We see wars raging, resulting in massive loss of life. We see those with power fighting to keep it and those without power being abused. We see what looks like division growing deeper and compassion growing smaller. And in the midst of all of that, it would be natural to ask the question, God, where are you? And then we come here on Sundays and we sing these songs of a God who loves, a God who will make all things new, a coming time when all things will be made right. And I wonder if any of you have trouble believing that that is actually reality. I wonder if any of us find it hard to believe that God's will actually will be done here on earth as it is in heaven, like we say when we pray the Lord's Prayer. That's why I believe Isaiah's voice speaks just as relevantly, just as strongly to us today as it did to the Jews 3,000 years ago. And so today we'll see three ways that God uses this uh, metaphor of motherhood to help us believe that God is faithful to undeserving people and he wants to restore us. We'll see that like a loving mother, God listens to our cries of despair. He reassures us of his love and then he reminds us of reality. He listens, he reassures, he reminds. So the first way we'll talk about, the first way we can see that God is faithful to undeserving people and wants to restore us is that like a mother, God listens to our cry of despair. In verse 14 we read, but Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My God has forgotten me. No sooner has verse 13 concluded its just overflowing response of praise to God's promises of restoration that Zion, who's the personification of the city of Jerusalem, Zion breaks in with her complaint. The grammar here suggests that verse 14 is actually a continuation of verse 13. So they're not even done praising yet and Zion breaks in. Uh-uh. Not me. That sounds nice but it's not for me. God's forgotten me. See, the people of Israel were face to face with the destructive effects of their sin. The siege of Jerusalem, the destruction of the wall, the decimation of the temple. What we have to understand, and I think it's hard for us 
in 21st century United States, I think it's hard for us to understand that for the people of Israel, Zion was not just a city. No, no. In Jerusalem and Zion was wrapped up their identity. And so as went the city, so went they. So if Israel was, or if Zion was destroyed, so were they. If Zion was abandoned, so were they. If Zion was barren, decimated, forgotten, so were they. So here the people of God have received the discipline God told them was coming, and it has ruined them. And how does God respond? Well, first, he lets Zion speak. He lets Zion, like a moody teenager, scream the deepest fear of her heart. You don't love me anymore. You don't love me anymore. Because Israel knew why her city was in ruins. She knew why her sons and daughters had been carried off, why her walls had been destroyed. It was her own sin. Despite God pleading through the prophets generation after generation after generation, she continued in her pursuit of other gods, her worship of other gods, her abuse of women and murder of children to placate other gods. Israel knew full well that her sin was the cause of her devastation. And now Israel cannot bring herself to believe that God still loves her. Of course she knows that God can deliver his people. She knows that God can restore all things. But she wonders, does he want to? Or has her sin become too much of a stink for God to even want to draw near to her? Can you picture this kind of shame? Have you seen it maybe in a child? When a child does something wrong and you get down to talk to them about it and they won't meet your eyes. Their eyes go to the floor. They won't look up. Because in their little hearts already, they're wondering, I did something bad. Am I still loved? And I wonder if any of us have experienced that kind of shame about our sin. Have you ever felt like your sin was too much for God to love you? Or have you felt maybe that because your pain is a result of your own choices, that you can't ask God for help? You know, in my time of Windsor, here at Windsor Road, I've been with some of you in those dark places. And I've heard you say things like, well, I know other people have it worse. Or I know it's my fault. Or I'm not sure God can forgive all this. And all of these, all of these betray a belief that somehow our circumstances or our choices or our situation disqualify us from God's love and care. But this passage shows us that even if it is our fault, we can still cry out to God in our pain. Even if it's ridiculous to blame God for our situation, we can say it out loud into the night. See, God's response in the next verse makes it clear that he's not mad at Israel for her fear. He doesn't condemn her. He doesn't judge her. Like a compassionate mom on the worst day ever, he lets her speak. So the first way we see that God is faithful to undeserving people is that like a mother, God listens to our cries of despair. The second way we see God is faithful to undeserving people and wants to restore us is that like a mother, God reassures us of his love. 
In verses 15 and 16, we see how God responds to Israel's accusation that he's forgotten her. He's God. Obviously, almighty God in heaven has not forgotten Israel. He is the eternal sovereign God of all, and he doesn't forget. But instead of chastising her doubt, he assures her she's loved. He says, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continuously before me. God uses here the strongest image of personal attachment he can think of to help his people get the picture of his everlasting love for them. The picture of a nursing mother. He asks this question rhetorically. Can a mother forget her nursing child? No. That built-in remind system, it works. You guys, I love my kids. Like, a lot. I tell them a lot. Um, I don't know if any of your kids have done those. Um, if you have kids, sometimes like around Mother's Day, they do these little surveys at school that are like, my mom's name is this. She's six years old. She likes to eat marshmallows or whatever, right? And then they always ask, my mom always says, what does my mom always say? Every single time my kids say, my mom always says, I love you. My daughter Esther has told me that I tell her enough. I've told her enough. I don't need to tell her anymore. She knows. <laughs> Apparently I say it a lot. I might be even just like a little obsessed with my kids. I watch my kids sleep. Sometimes I'll steal my youngest like out of his bed in the night and just snuggle him because he's so cuddly, right? I like can lose myself for an hour looking at old pictures of them. When I travel, my heart aches that I'm not with them. And I just love my kids so much. As strong as a mother loves her children, we might expect God here to say, just like that, I love you. Just like that, I love you. But God wants us to know that his love is more than an earthly mom. Because the sad reality is that some mothers do forget their children. And all mothers will fail their children in some way or another. All of us will. Some of us walked in here with scars this morning, with wounds from our mothers. Some of us are mothers who've wounded our children. Even the very best mother and daughter or mother and son relationships here on church, here on earth, experience pain. And God knows this. And so God doesn't say his love is just like that of an earthly mom. He says, even if those might forget, I never will. Even where mirth, earthly motherhood disappoints, mine won't. God's love transcends that of earthly mothers. Even the most attached, most loving mother on earth cannot come close to the devoted, faithful love of God. In Isaiah, God reminds Israel that there is nothing they could do that would make God stop loving them. And he shows them his hands to say, see, here, I've engraved your name on my hands. Right here I have a plan to, to restore your city. I think about you all the time. You are never not on my mind. Because God is a God that doesn't just say he loves, he proves he loves. He demonstrates his love. 
Jesus models this with Thomas after the resurrection. Thomas isn't there the first time Jesus comes back to the disciples. And so he says, I don't believe it. Unless I see his nail prints, unless I put my hands in his side, I will not believe. And what does Jesus do? He shows up. John 20, 27 says, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands. Put out your hand, place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Romans 5, 8 illustrates this further. This is a God who doesn't just say he loves, he demonstrates, he proves his love. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God doesn't just say he loves, he proves it. You know, I'm at the very beginning stages of understanding the depth of maternal love. My kids are six and four. I can't imagine anything that would make me stop loving them, but right now their sins are small. Most days it's easy to love them despite their sin. This is my son Silas. Isn't he so cute? (laughs) Oh, that boy. So last Sunday, this sweet boy came up to me after dinner with the biggest smile on his face. And I was like, oh, he's here for some hugs. Really excited about this. Do you know what that child did? (laughs) He blew his nose and wiped it all down the sleeve of my black sweater. What a disgusting little child. I was too shocked to send him to timeout, which I know like a good mom would probably have done. Instead, I laughed, which I know also you're not supposed to do when your kids mess up. But I just couldn't, I didn't know how to respond to that. So I just laughed. But isn't he, look how cute he is though. What were we talking about? That infraction is forgotten, is gone. Right now, snotty noses and sibling fights that go too far are the worst of my troubles. Most of what I'm experiencing is pretty easy to forgive and get over. But some of you moms have experienced deep pain with your children. Their sin is not so easy to get over. It's not so quickly forgotten. It's destroying their life and breaking your heart. And yet you show love anyway. You pray anyway. You buckle in for the long haul. It's fierce. It is determined. It's beautiful. And that church family times a thousand is God's love for us. So do you doubt God's love for you this morning? Isaiah 49 tells us that we can tell him that and then watch as he proves his love. When I was in college, I went through a season of wondering if God really loved me. I know he's God. He has to love everybody. Okay, but do you love me? (laughs) I wanted to know, do you love me? And I don't know what possessed me to do this, but I just asked him. (laughs) I said, God, I don't know if I believe that you really love me. So can you show me? And then I just waited. (laughs) And over the next few months, I filled the page of a notebook with specific instances where God showed me that he loves me. 
He loves me. So if you're feeling like God could not possibly love you, I want to challenge you to ask him. And then just see what he says. Because Isaiah tells us the second way we'd see that God is faithful to undeserving people and wants to restore them is that like a mother, he reassures us of his love. The third way we see that God is faithful to undeserving people and wants to restore us is that like a mother, God reminds us of reality. So God has allowed Israel to speak her despair. He's reassured her with his love, but he's not done yet. Because he is not only Emmanuel, God with us, he is God of truth. He allows a moment for assurance, and now he must clarify reality. This is the mom who sits with her son in the midst of a failure, but when the moment is right, challenges him about how he contributed to it. This is the mom who cries with her daughter over her broken heart, but then reminds her of the truth that better days are coming. God has listened. He has reassured Israel that she is loved, and now, like the tough love of a mom, he needs to remind her of the truth. He has not forgotten Israel. No. Zion might think her life is over, but God will redeem his people. He will bring her children back from all over the world. And not only will he bring them back, but there will be so many people, they won't all fit in Jerusalem. The city will be too small. They'll look around and wonder, how did this happen? Israel will say, I was bereaved. I was barren. I was exiled. I was put away. I was left alone. Where did these children come from? Here, Israel's complete inability to restore herself is juxtaposed against God's almighty power. Verses 22 and 23 tell us that all God has to do is lift up his hand and the very nations that besieged Israel will be the ones to bring her children home. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up my hands to the nations and raise my signal to the people. They shall bring your sons in their arms and your daughters shall be carried on their shoulders. Kings will be your foster fathers and their queens your nursing mothers. How did this happen? Well, God did it, of course. Here God reminds Israel of the reality that he is sovereign, not only over them, but over all things on earth. He can do whatever he wants to do, and he wants to redeem them. Their destruction was never his goal. His goal was something much greater. So not only will God redeem Israel, but she will in fact be the vessel he uses to redeem all of humanity. Isaiah 49:26 says, Then all flesh shall know that I am the Lord your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Remember at the beginning we said that Isaiah's name means the Lord saves. This is the theme of the entire book, the Lord saves. And here, God's telling Israel, it's not just you I want to save. He does not just want some in his family, he wants all in his family. All mankind is created in God's image, and like a mom, there is unlimited room in his heart for those he created. And so God won't be satisfied until all his children can come home. 
So he reminds Israel, this is reality. I have plans to save the world and you're going to play a role. So let's go. My mom was pretty good at reminding me of reality. Throughout my childhood, my mom had her hands firmly grasped on the reality of God's care and provision for us. My mom was a single mom, and so often we did not have much, but I saw her trust that God would provide. When I was in junior high and high school, I started traveling on mission trips. I went to Puerto Rico and Venezuela and South Africa and England, and my mom never once told me not to go. As an adult, I'm looking back on that thinking, why did she let me go so far away with no one she knew? (laughs) And so I asked her that. I said, Mom, why did you let me do that? And she said, well, Katie, I just figured that if God called you, then I had to trust him to take care of you. After my freshman year of college, um, I just went through a really difficult season of confusion over my future. Um, And I thought about maybe taking a year off from college to sort of figure out what I wanted to do. I was really afraid to tell my mom. I thought she would be mad at me and disappointed in me. And so I went home and told her that I was just having a hard time and thought I might need some time off. And my mom, she reminded me, I was young. My life wasn't going to be over if I took a year off from school. God had plans for my future, and if it would help me figure out what they were to take a year off of school, that would be just fine. In her loving way, she told me, stop freaking out about it. At these pivotal moments in my life, I was so blessed to have a mom who helped me see the reality of God's care and provision. Do you need to remember reality today? Is your present pain making it hard to see the reality that God promises in our future? Or are you distracted or overwhelmed or angry about the injustice we see in the world? Have we forgotten that our future hope is guaranteed? In these verses, God, like a loving mother, is saying, look up. This is reality. There will be a day when our longings are fulfilled. There will be a day when injustice ends. Those of us longing for children who are called home too soon will see them coming back to us, carried in the arms of kings. Those of us who were orphaned by death or dysfunction will be adopted by royalty. There will be a day when we can love each other perfectly without sin getting in the way. There will be a day when we will be all together in the eternal, perfect, loving family of God. Church family, this is a fact. This is reality. So do you need to see reality this morning? Do you need to reset your vision? That's one reason, you know, we read the Bible. The Bible reminds us of reality. If you need a reminder of reality, I want to challenge you maybe every day this week, to hang out in Revelation 21. Revelation 21, 1 through 5 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he also said, Write this down. Write this down. This is trustworthy. This is true. Write this down. God is making all things new. Church family, that is reality. And here in Isaiah, we see that the third way that God proves that he's faithful to undeserving people and that he wants to restore them is that like a loving mother, he reminds us of reality. Ray Ortland Jr. wrote this. God saves sinners. We don't believe that. We bank our happiness on other things. But God says to us, I'm better than you think. You're worse than you think. Let's get together. Church family, you are fully known by God. He knows your sin better than you do. And you know what? He loves you anyway. The same way I cannot imagine anything making me stop loving my children. God will never stop loving you. His love for you is stronger than the best, most amazing mom the earth has to offer. And his love comes with certain restoration. Have you experienced God this way? Do you know that like a patient and loving mother, God will listen to your cry of despair? That he wants to reassure you with his love? And have you experienced God's mother-like candor telling you, look and see There is reality, and it's better than what you're seeing right now. In a few moments, we'll take communion and sing. And as we sing, I want to invite you to cry out to God. If you find yourself like Israel, afraid that even if God can save you, he might not want to, tell him that. Tell him that. Ask him to help you experience his mother-like, limitless love Or maybe you've lost sight of reality. Maybe because of pain or maybe just because of distraction. If you've lost sight of where we're heading, ask God to remind you. Receive God's mother-like exhortation to remember what is real. God saves sinners and he wants to save you. So trust him and then let him use your redemption story to prove his love to others. Let's pray.